Welcome to another episode of The Walking Classroom. I'm Laura Fenn, and today I'm at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences in beautiful downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. With me is Dr. Chris Tacker. He is the curator of geology here at the museum, and he's also a geologist. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Tacker. We're happy to have you here. Thank you for the invitation. Glad to be here. Well, wonderful. So can you tell me a little bit, what is a geologist? Uh, Let me talk about geology first. Sure. Geology is the study of the earth. It's physical composition, it's chemical composition, it's structure, it's history, uh, it's natural resources. So geologists come in a lot of different flavors. Yeah. And um, I am a mineralogist and geochemist. There are also a lot of other crossbreeds. In fact, geology is very interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary. So if you cross a mathematician and a geologist, you get a geophysicist. If you cross a biologist with a geologist, you get a paleontologist. If you cross a chemist with a a geologist, you get somebody like me. Fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about your work and and what you do? Uh, Some of my work is experimental. Okay, I mostly work on appetite group minerals. That's spelled A-P-A-T-I-T-E. Not appetite like I'm hungry for lunch. Right. Not like you're hungry. So um, they record the gases that are present in a volcanic eruption before it blows. Ah. So I can go back and analyze fluorine, chlorine, OH, carbonate in an appetite group mineral and reconstruct a volcanic eruption and all the gases present, even though it took place millions of years ago, and all those gases are literally gone with the wind. So are you telling me that you are able to predict what gases were at a volcanic site millions of years ago, even before the volcano erupted? How do you do that? Um, I pair it with experimental work. So I do what we call high temperature and high pressure cook and look. The big words are experimental petrology, but I can melt that rock at any temperature and pressure I choose, all the way down to mantle. The mantle is what's below the crust. The crust is on the outside, then you have the mantle, then you have a liquid outer uh, core and a solid inner Inner core. core. Right. Okay. So, So you can go to any site, any volcanic site around the world where a volcano has erupted five years ago or five million years ago, and you can Mm -hmm. collect samples from that site. And by analyzing them using light and beams of electrons, you can actually figure out what gases were present Mm -hmm. and what actually occurred at that time. I can tell you temperature to within five degrees centigrade. What the temperature was at the time. Yes. The temperature of that volcanic rock when it erupted. So when analyzing these rocks that you collect at the volcanic site, other than just it being very cool to know what happened back then, what are you able to do with that information that sort of might help us today, scientists today? It's all about prediction and understanding what goes on way beneath the volcano. When most people think about a volcano or draw a volcano, they're interested in that big mountain, the big uh, cone with smoke coming out the top. All of the fun stuff is actually happening way below ground. Tell us about that. Um, Well, these things uh, roil, they bubble. It's bubble, bubble, toil, and trouble. (laughs) And I'm interested in the point where it forms the bubbles. You know, if you've ever shaken up a a soda can or seltzer water really good 
and then cracked the top and had the top blow off. That's exactly what happens in a catastrophic volcanic eruption. You get bubbles, it breaches the surface, the bubbles get bigger and bigger, and it drives all of that um, material straight out through the neck of the bottle, which is the volcano. And is that what interested you in becoming a geologist in the first place when you were a child? Were you interested in these volcanic eruptions and and just the magnitude of the explosion and you wanted to find out? Or, or how did you get involved in geology and, and your field of study uh, now? Well, when I was a kid, I was interested in dinosaurs and, you know, I outgrew that. But we made some trips to the Black Hills of South Dakota and the Badlands of South Dakota. And, you know, sedimentary rocks are very, very apparent there, all the different layers. But also one of the places we were camping um, had a lot of waste rock from one of the hard rock mines. So all of the gravel roads in the campground were paved in pink feldspar. And it was really striking. It's really weird looking. To be driving along a pink road. Yeah. And I, I collected a bunch of that stuff. I don't think I have any anymore. But I also have a very large collection of rocks in one of the big boxes from the South Dakota School of Mines. had asbestos in it. It had um, uranium ore. Did you go straight into geology? Um, well, let's see. My process was more like in middle school, I had a very good earth science teacher. And I lived out on the coastal plain of North Carolina where you didn't see any igneous rocks or metamorphic rocks. I mean, the closest ones were like 1,500 feet straight down. So it was not anything you ever saw. Um, when I, I did some independent study as a gifted, talented student in high school and worked with a friend of mine um, who was a fiddle player who was also chairman of the Department of Geology. And so I worked with some of the graduate students on some of their projects when I was in high school. When I went to college initially, I was a pre-med in chemistry, but um, I changed that to geology, but I kept my chemistry background. A friend of mine, um, coincidentally, is a geologist, and he told me that geology was the most important science because everything that we use, touch, or do is related to geology. Can you sort of explain what, what he might have meant by that? Well, what miners say is if you can't grow it, you've got to mine it. So everything around you is related to geology. So let's say, for example, as the people are listening to this, to this podcast right now, how is that related to geology? My friend told me that the player that you are listening to, you needed geology oh, yeah. in order to get to this product. Okay, well, let's, let's look at this baby. It's a play away. Okay, first of all, the, um, the little screen requires silicon uh, and probably lithium. So, um, and those come that's from the, the screen. Those come from the ground. Yeah. Now, the shell is plastic. That's a petroleum product. That's got to come out of ground. Petroleum geologists are their own specialty. And so, petroleum is yeah. oil, right? And so, yeah. oil is used, petroleum is used to make plastic. So, that's right. related to geology. Yeah. It's not just the gasoline for the cars we drive. It's also, the, it's also used in all the plastics and all the pharmaceuticals that we use, all those kinds of things. Now, the most important thing is something in there that you can't really see. These things use various rare earth elements to um, function. Inside, like the memory chips. Inside, the memory chips, um, lots of green technologies. Right now, those are, um, those are very problematic because we have like a two-year supply 
and China controls all the supplies and they've been cutting back. So um, right there, you've got a competition for natural resources that's driven entirely by geology. What about the shoes that we're wearing? What about the clothes that we're wearing? How are those related to geology? Um, well, if you're wearing a pair of Levi's, Levi Strauss originally got his start in the gold rush in San Francisco you know, with the 49ers. The rivets on your jeans are going to be copper and probably something else to make the copper a little harder. But the cotton uh, that the jeans are made of, those are that cotton is grown. That so cotton that's is grown. not necessarily based on geology, but... But you wouldn't have that without the um, nitrogen and phosphorus that usually that comes from the, a phosphate mine. That helps the crops The grow. fertilizer. And you need to know where the ground yeah. is fertile, which is related to geology, to grow certain crops. Well, that's related to geology. You also have all of the machines that are required to mine it, I mean not mine it, spin it, harvest it, all of those are very particular kinds of steel because they do repetitive motions over and over and over and over again. Then, you've, of course, you've got to have gasoline to harvest it. So, you know, if all of this was harvested, spun, and carted by hand, it would be a very local product. But um, with geology, you can get even the cotton in your jeans to much farther places. Sure. If a child is interested in getting involved in geology, what recommendations would you have for him or her to sort of further their studies and, and learn more about the field? Uh, take a look around. That's, that's the first thing to do. What do you have underfoot? If there's a gravel driveway, what kind of rocks are in there? The thing that would be the most helpful is to have some kind of magnifying glass. I, I carry two that are essentially jeweler's lenses. Also, you can go to um, the local museums. If you're interested in going out and collecting, a lot of cities and a lot of areas have rockhound clubs, you know, gem and mineral clubs. And what they also tend to have in just about every big city in North Carolina is a big rock and mineral show. We have a couple here in Raleigh. But you can go there and see things and purchase crystals if that's what you're interested in. Fantastic. Now, another thing that you can do, if you're not interested in hard rocks, if you're interested in sedimentary rocks or, or the ocean, um, when you're at the beach or you're at a lake, take a look at what's on the bottom of the lake. Take a look at what's going on in the surf if you're at the beach. Look at the sand. You know, Look at what's in the sand. Um, if you just look at what's in the wash zone of the surf, there's lots of different things. And it gives you an idea of what's under the water there, what's being eroded away and therefore made into sand and pulling up under right. the surface. But um, up in the higher parts of the beach and in the dunes, you have these really nice, clean sands. Those aren't really impressive, at least to me, until you see them in the mountains and you see a beach sand that's 360 million years old that's up in the mountains now because, you know, collisions and plate tectonics have moved it there. Sure. Where is your favorite destination? Where, is, where, where do you think is the most interesting geological location on the planet? Um, I'd like to see Old Oenyo Lengai. Where's that? Tanzania. Okay. In the East African Rift. And why is that so interesting to you? It erupts bicarbonate of soda. So it's a volcanic area and it mm -hmm. erupts bicarbonate soda. You'd call it baking powder. It erupts baking powder? Yes. So there's... Molten baking powder. So there's... And is it active today? Yes. Like, 
So so under the ground, as, I didn't realize baking powder was a mineral. Oh, yes. It's bicarbonate of soda. Okay. It's two sodiums attached to a CO3 molecule. Okay. <laughs> so tell us more about this erupting baking soda. Co- yeah. Calcium carbonate minerals, when you find them on Earth, are like 85 to 90 percent of the time related to living organisms. They're shells, they're internal skeletons, but they're biological. In the late 1950s and early 1960s, people started discovering all of these carbonate rocks that um, when you slice them up and look at them under a microscope, they have igneous minerals and they have igneous textures. And you can tell some of these things cooled from a melt. It's not something that was precipitated out of water. It's not something that was a seashell. This stuff grew from a melt. And it was a huge controversy. Then in 1961, a geologist named Dawson actually observed uh, these rocks being erupted at Olduinio Lengai. And was it was it literally a white cloud of baking soda dust coming out of this volcano? No, it was more like uh, a red hot to that quickly cooled to gray um, flow. Okay. And but I've when they seen, analyzed it, this is what it came down to. Right. He was wandering around Olduinio Lengai. Dawson observed the eruption. He took samples and he brought them back for analysis. At the same time, some experimental geologists discovered that you could melt calcium carbonate at very, very low temperatures if you added water. Do volcanoes usually give warning before they're going to explode? Yes and no. Some of them take a long time to tune up. Um, What Mount St. Helens has been doing since the last eruption, which was 1984-86, is it um, tunes up and it kind of bubbles. And it's like when your stomach is bubbly and bubbly and then Mount St. Helens burps. Right. (laughs) And and that's it. Um, Other volcanic eruptions. They have a grumble and then they Yeah, and then they they start tuning up. And then all of the stuff gets blown out of the volcanic crater and rain down on whoever's nearby. Then they start a series of um, erupt- eruptive episodes. So is it just a matter of the gases and the, the rock that are below the volcanic surface that determine whether uh-huh. it will explode or ooze or whether yes. it gives you warning or not? Uh-huh. Can you talk very simply about that? Volcanoes erupt until they run out of gas. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that simple. Um, when they run out of gas, they stop erupting. And geologists, do you have any way of determining? I guess that's sort of one of the main goals is determining when they're running out of gas. Does it ever, does the tank ever get refilled up again? Oh, yes. The tank gets refilled. It can be refilled from below or it can crystallize some more and gas bubbles will nucleate. You know, they'll grow Okay. And as they grow bigger and bigger, that's when things are dangerous. So many things brewing beneath the surface that we might not be aware of. Yeah. Well, if you go to Kilauea, the scientists at the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory, the geophysicists, can pretty much spot a new batch of magma arriving at the top of the mountain. I mean, the top of the mantle, way, way, way below the volcano itself about two weeks in advance. So they know, okay, two weeks from now, we're going to have this thing overflowing a bit more. Okay, wonderful. 
Well, there are so many more questions that I would love to ask and learn more mm-hmm. about. But since this is the walking classroom, my last question for you will be, where is your favorite place to walk? Any place that's got some kind of uh, topography to it. You know, Tell some me kind what of you mean hill, by topography. Hill, mountain, um, something that involves you using your um, your quadriceps, you know, the big muscles <laughs> in your legs. You and, know, just walking on the flats is not a lot for me. Sure, but with with the with the changing topography with hills or mountains that's, you know, that's you're sort of in your preferred habitat because the evidence of geology is is all around you, right? Right, and there's a little more chance of actually seeing some rocks, especially yeah. here in the southeast where you don't have a lot of outcrops. Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining us today. Certainly. This has been a real treat. Mm-hmm. Take You're care. Welcome. Thank you.